0: I first started being interested in behaviour change because I was bullied and I thought, well, maybe if I could find a way of changing my behaviour, I can get the bullying to stop. And so, and I actually did it in ways that were quite effective at the time, um, and, and so I guess that kind of created this, this fascination for me and the ability that, that I had to change my circumstances by changing myself.
1: This is the Ideas Lab podcast, where you can learn from great creative and entrepreneurial minds how to turn your ideas into original businesses, books, and brands. Because in a crowded world, it pays to stand out. This is your host, John Williams, best-selling author and founder of the Ideas Lab London. This is the first in a series of interviews with people who are featured in my brand new book, published this July, by Pearson. And this is David Crane. Dave is a friend of mine for some years, but he's also the person who is the creator of the number one stop smoking app in the world called Smoke Free. He's now had 4 million downloads. And I wanted to ask him, what makes a good app idea? How do you get apps noticed right at the start? And what is the key to an app that takes off and actually becomes a major source of income, as well as doing some good in the world. Dave Crane, thanks very much for joining us on the Ideas Love podcast. Oh,
0: pleasure to be here, John. Thanks very much for having me.
1: Yeah, we've known each other quite a few years, haven't we? Like a decade or something like that? I don't know.
0: Yeah, I'd say probably around a decade from the Spectrum days.
1: Yeah. Oh, so I met you at Spectrum Psychotherapy Centre.
0: We did. I think that's where we met. Yeah. I I think you're right.
1: Probably on one of the courses. I did many of them and I did some of the training stuff. And, uh, and then we, we met through Jerry Hyde who runs the, uh, the men's groups, uh, that we're in. Yeah. I I remember sharing a tent with you and, uh, your beloved dog, uh, (laughs) one of his retreats, which is amazing. And having to kick your dog out of my, uh, sleeping bag when I came back late one night,
0: (laughs) He'd found a comfy spot <laughs> yeah. that wasn't, that he knew he was. He, he thought he'd take his chances on yours.
1: Yeah. Anyway, so that's our history. Full disclosure. And um, uh, what's interesting though is that you've created this amazing app that I've written about in my brand new book, which is being published in July this year. And I thought it'd be interesting to get a bit more detail than we could fit into the book about how you managed to create what is now basically the number one stop smoking app at least on ios is that right do you want to give us an update on on that
0: yeah um i mean i think we're the with number one app across both platforms um we certainly are number one on ios and, and have been for a number of years with android the, the positions fluctuate a little bit more but i think what we've got that none of the other apps have is is a sort of rigorous scientific focus. So we we incorporate a lot of best practice when it comes to smoking cessation. Uh, And we also uh, have evidence that the app is effective. So it's not just enough that you create or you just bringing the techniques that seem to work in face-to-face interventions uh when trying to change behavior in an app you need to know that the implementation of those techniques in the form that you've done it is uh, is effective is helping people stop smoking in our case
1: yeah and I'm, so I'm, that's what we yeah, do i'm a big fan of that because we can all have theories and instincts and hunches about what actually works in psychology and in habit change but it's good to really look at the data and see what really works and often it's not what you think it is. But how do you if we go rewind back to the beginning to cover some of that story, how did you come up with the idea of creating an app to stop people smoking?
0: My background is in technology. So I've been around sort of websites and since nineteen ninety five and have always been interested in using technology to create positive change. So I've had a debating website. I had a cannabis legalization uh, website for a while, uh, but could never find that happy balance of, 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 of a, a an app that made money but also felt like it was doing some good. So this kind of win-win scenario. Um, and then I spent twenty years doing this, but I decided that oh, you know maybe I, I should have a break. So I went off, um, I wanted had to do something very different. I, I, I felt like I wasn't getting anywhere with the old approach. Um, and so the other love that I had was psychology. Uh, and I've been interested in you know psychology from way back in you know, those spectrum days and before then. Um, actually, in primary school was my, when I first started being interested in behavior change because I was bullied. And I thought, well, maybe if I can find a way of changing my behavior, I can get the bullying to stop. And so, and I actually did it in ways that were quite effective at the time. Um, and, and so, I guess that kind of created this f- this fascination for me in the ability that, that I had to change my circumstances by changing myself. Um, but I never felt that confident in pursuing psychology as a career in my twenties or my thirties um, or my forties, for that matter. I just felt like I needed more experience. I needed more. To, to, you know so, so much of my life had I'd had these great ideas in my 20s and then been proven wrong in my 30s that I felt like I wanted to be just a bit more life experience before I was talking about change to other people so um, it was actually in my late 40s that I did the master's in psychology it was this' uh, this this step away from technology into um, it's this this old love and i would just given up smoking at the time uh, so when I was um, asked what I wanted to do for my dissertation, uh, the idea came pretty quickly, really, just to you combine that that knowledge of technology, the focus on creating products that people like using and can be of benefit to people with this uh, scientific focus on psychology and evidence and see if I could combine the two into uh, a product that might help people stop smoking.
1: Yeah. And that's a great idea to combine several things you're good at or interested in. And, um, you know, the fact that you took your passion for psychology and then everything you learned in the masters and then added it to a technology stuff, that that means it's quite difficult for somebody to compete with you because this is what Scott Adams, the creator of Dilbert calls talent stacking. So you've got multiple areas of expertise and you, Maybe you're not the world's best in any of them. I fit, certainly feel like that about most of the things I do. Uh, but you layer them together and you actually create a competitive advantage, which is really quite difficult to to get over for somebody else. So th- that's um, a great model. And you, from what I understand, you created this app kind of not as a commercial venture during your psychology masters, but as um, as a way of getting research candidates to produce data on what works to stop smoking is that right
0: yeah absolutely it, it didn't start out with the intention of being uh, a business it was okay we've got a question about smoking that, that we may be able to answer um and actually the, the 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 idea of the app changed from its first iteration into what was actually reduced so firstly it was just going to be can we gather data about cravings can we try to shed more light on what is happening when someone is craving in the moment? because this is the thing that apps provide over traditional forms of gathering data, is that you can get much more contemporaneous data, much more clear, oh, I'm smoking right now, so I can tell you what's going on right now, rather than trying to remember four hours ago when, you know, you would probably forgotten. But then, um, as I thought about it more, what I, what I wanted to, to create was a plan for stopping smoking. A few years before that, I'd run the marathon, um, and this, you know, I used to hate runners. I used to hate running. I used to sort of laugh. I used to take the piss out of runners, excuse my language, but you know, my, I had the same that you never see a happy jogger. Um, so, you know, the idea that I would then go and run a marathon was, was, was ludicrous because I just, I could never get onto it. You know, in primary school, I remember hating cross country, but I ended up needing to because I was really overweight and it was clear that my Wii Fit wasn't going to get rid of the pounds <laughs> that I needed it to. So um, a friend said, well, listen, you should do the marathon because the training that you'll have to do is, the, uh, is what will get you to lose the weight. And I thought, yeah, I quite like this idea. as a challenge. It's something that I never considered myself doing before. It is one of those kind of measurable achievements that you can say, I've, you know I've done this. It's got a clear point of kind of there's a clear goal to it, which is very important. Um, and something I thought was beyond me and the only way that I got from running, not being a runner at all, one minute was the f- my first run in October was a minute long and then by the middle of March, I was able to run for four and a half hours without stopping because, because I followed a plan. And Because this plan was so well put together, and it was like it took you. A yeah, the first week you don't have to run very far; walk as much as you want to. And then uh, the next week, just do a little bit more. And it, and it was it was scaled in such a way that every week was felt slightly out of reach. It was sl- it was a bit of a stretch, but it wasn't too much of a stretch. So I thought I could do it. Um, when I did it, I felt proud about having achieved it. So it was very reinforcing, but it wasn't too much that I didn't think, Oh God, I never want to go back there again. And it was that idea that kind of structured plan that I trusted. And this was the other key thing, because I trusted that there were people who were less fit than I, who had followed this plan and done it. So I thought if I can just follow this plan, I'll be okay too. And that's what we wanted to bring in to this app. And that's what we ended up testing in um in the randomized control trial which is whether these series of daily tasks given to people over the course of a month could help people stop smoking and we found that actually they doubled your chances of quitting at three months which is around the same effectiveness as, as nicotine replacement therapy which is considered to be one of the so it's, it's, a, it's a pretty good effect size it's one piece of data so you know we've got to be very careful about uh claiming too much about these things but it's a very is an indication i think that um that the, the principles work that people will follow a program if they can if they will trust in it if they will believe that this is thing is going to help them so if you can put those two conditions in place you might have something that'd be quite effective
1: yeah and and at what point i mean at what point did you did you think like you could see okay this app is really taking off because initially you're only trying to get a few hundred people, but just to do just to get this data that you needed uh, for your masters. And then at what point was it obvious that it was going to go beyond that, and that this was really working?
0: It was. It was almost the first day. Um, I mean, you know, we only had one data point then, but we we had about twenty-eight downloads on the first day, uh, and I, I don't think we were really expecting any at all because it's quite a competitive. Landscape. There was already a hundred or so apps that were, in, you know, available to other people. So the idea that we could kind of get any of that that quickly um, was a surprise, and we thought, oh, maybe we've got something here. And then I think we got—I can't remember how many we got in the first week, but we think we probably got 100, 200 downloads in the first week. And the target was 500 for the whole three-month course of the program. Um, and then we we started getting feedback from people. Saying that they they liked what we were doing and they found it a really effective app. And that was that was again very reinforcing. Um, and it was those early indications that, oh, okay, yeah, people seem to be liking this, as evidenced by the number of people who were downloading it and what they were telling us and what they were how they were reviewing it, um, that made me think, oh, okay, maybe there's something more to, to this. Um so, yeah it, it's it's getting that kind of feedback from users, I think, and it was having a product out there that, that you know that we could get that feedback on because if you've if you've just got an idea, if you're not getting feedback from the people who are going to end up using it, then yeah you know, it's not really tested.
1: Yeah. and I mean, now it's had how many downloads is it? Four and a half million? Yeah, not bad. <laughs> four and a half million yeah. people and but when you put it out right to the beginning then, those first 30 people first few hundred people uh, over the course of the week how do they find out about it did you just put it on the app store describe it and then kind of you know go home you know to have dinner or something i mean did or did you do something to promote it
0: so we we looked at the basic principles of app store optimization um and so keyword this is just on apple so um keywords are very important on apple you've got 100 characters You don't want to, you know, things like if I remember correctly, Apple pluralizes words for you, so you don't need smoke and smoking; you just need smoke. Um, I think then, if you have no and smoke and no and cigarettes, it will put those, you know, two together as well. So you don't have to have no smoking and no cigarettes. So you kind of you you work out how to use the character limit in, in the best possible way, and you work out which keywords to use based on what you think people will search for. Uh, and then you make sure that the um the landing page is um you know the description is well written that the screenshots are attractive that there's a call to action the kind of basic principles of 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 you know trying to promote a marketing product that you would do so we just did those um and i think we did those well we did those well enough that we got the first few users on board and then once we got those few users and once we started getting emails in we nurtured those uh, emails and so we would kind of respond very quickly to any support requests be super helpful and friendly um, and then once people said oh thank you very much we would then ask them to leave a review so that we, we tried to create this sort of relationship where people would um, would start to thank us and again that kind of allowed us to to move up the search rankings and has this this positive feedback loop where people can see oh you you know you're being effective and then they rate you more highly and, and so on
1: yeah, no, that's really interesting. So you kind of just, just be helpful first, and then once people are grateful, actually say, can you give a review? That's a really good idea.
0: Yeah, I mean, it, you know, it's a relationship that we're having with the users. Um, and it, it, in many ways, it's a funnier relationship because there is a set of expectations that comes from you having even a free app. That means that if um, that free app doesn't match what a user's expectations for it were—not what you said that it was going to do, but whether they, what they thought it was going to do—you can get one-star reviews very easily. And especially with people who are, you know, giving up smoking, who can be a little bit grumpy from time to time. <laughs> and let's face it—I was one of them um I, so... i've seen
1: how angry those people get in reviews and i've read one star reviews of free apps which i thought were pretty good and they are really angry and i'm going like you really want a lot for your no money don't you <laughs> yeah I think, I think i think we have a, a, a kind of a, a strange
0: relationship with technology where we can feel profoundly let down by it when it doesn't work in the way that we expected it to or when it's not obvious how it works and it can make us feel small as well because you know we can we We sort of, we feel an idiot because we can't get it to work properly, and then we sort of project that onto the app and and that's so you get loads of negative reviews. And I think this understanding that dynamic uh, and focusing very heavily on user needs and sort of how can we make the nicest possible app? And this is the other thing that, that I don't talk about very often, but I think is very important is the attention to detail. so we we you know the language was honed and refined and had a personality and the And we thought about each step of the journey and how could we make that nicer. And it's been, no, that's been a constant process ever since. But I think putting that effort in to those small little touches that just make the product feel polished. um, And and I'm sure we'll come to this is, yeah, we talk about minimum viable product, but a minimum viable product must include a product that's nice to use. It doesn't have to be perfect to use, it will always get better, but it's got to be nice to use. Otherwise, you're not. You know, when you're talking about digital technology, if it hasn't got that experience, then you're not getting the, the feedback that you need to decide whether the product is, is good enough or not. It's not, you know, it's not just a yeah. a tool.
1: Yeah, just because people talk about an MVP doesn't mean you can put any old crap out of there. It actually has to, it, it has to be valuable. You know, that's the V in, in minimum viable product. Well, actually, it has to be viable in that it has to be of value to people. And so, um, yeah, it needs to be good enough and enjoyable enough to use. It's a good point.
0: Yeah, exactly. And, and, and yeah, maybe the another maybe, you know, good word for V is valuable because if it isn't, if it, if the product doesn't have any value to the user, then it's not serving any need at all.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And so it, just to clarify, although it's a, you can download it for free, there's obviously a paid level. Otherwise you wouldn't be making any money out of it. So, um, how does that work where's the line between this is what you call the freemium model right where it starts off free and then if you pay more you get a premium experience uh
0: so we added the freemium about two years in in fact so for the first two years it was um it was just an app and we were building up nice reviews and um and again just sort of seeing it as a as a sort of a project we were developing but then um I so I think it helped as well to have a business partner who was more commercially focused than I was. So I'm product focused. I, I focus on trying to make the best possible tool. Uh, and Greg, my business partner, was sort of more okay. Well, how can we make some money out of this? Which is a very important question yeah. to ask. So so he he pushed me to um, to start selling the app more often, and he pushed me to help increase the price a little bit. And and I was always glad that he did. Um, and I think there were two things that we did that. Um, that, that really worked, and the first was sort of just having a, a, an upgrade model. So there was just buy, buy the app one-off. Um, I can't remember how much it was. I think it was about five quid, um, a price we haven't changed in actually seven years, even though the feature set has increased and inflation has obviously gone up. Um, but that and that brought in a certain amount of revenue, and we found different ways of kind of increasing the percentage of people who would who would buy the app, um, partly by making you know promoting it more uh, and i think this is the thing that that uh, i guess i i value from greg and, and need in a partner is that someone who sort of who believes the product is is worth selling it can put a price on it um, and i'll come back to that in a second but the second thing that we did and the thing that, that um has created most revenue in the thing and the way that the, the, the this sort of sphere space seems to be going is subscriptions so um, when we moved to a subscription model, we sort of trebled our revenue. Um, simply we, didn't, we, didn't cha- we didn't change anything. We didn't add any new features. We just simply added the option to buy um, the app on a subscription. And we include, we kept on buying the app one off. Both of those sales went up. So the percentage, the percentage of people who bought the app one off went up a little bit because I think it created that, that contrast. Uh, and then we added on top of that all these other people who were, who were trying the app. Um, as a, a subscription model, uh, and it was, and we use that on a sort of trial basis as well. First week free, automatically converts into a subscription after that, which is the default behaviour on on Apple and Google. Um, and so, I think that um, the other thing that I, I want to come back to is just it's ha- feeling that the product is worth um, paying, selling, charging for. So the thing that what we do now is we try to encourage people to um, to buy the premium features, and I sort of struggle with that because you know I can't I, again I'm sort of product focused and want people to have the you know, you know just to get something that they like using, but in reality the best product for people is the premium version. That's the one that's going to most likely to help them quit. It costs them a bit of money. It costs them like seven pounds a month. But that's nothing if you're a smoker. That's what you'd spend, you know, in a couple of days at if not a day. So um having the courage of our convictions to say you should buy this product. It's good, it's worth seven quid. It's going to help you. We can talk about that very confidently. I think is the other thing that sort of allows us that that the subtle messaging around how we promote that to to be more effective.
1: That's a really important point. I was talking to Mike Michalowicz last week, who's a New York Times bestselling author. And he says, your customers want you to charge them well. They might not know that consciously, but what they want is they, they want to have a really good experience and have get everything they need from you in the best possible form. And it's much better for them to pay properly for that in order that you can supply all of that rather than them, you know, buying you at a discounted rate or, or you undercharging and then, then getting a kind of substandard experience. So I like the idea of it's like, you know, you really ought to just buy it because this is better. It's going to have a, uh, a lot more impact on you and being able to stand by it.
0: Exactly. Yeah. And it's sort of saying that we know we're the experts here. We know, we know how to help you stop smoking and it is to use these tools. And it goes hand-in-hand hand with this sense, I think, of being a trustworthy organisation, which is something that we, we sort of, as a brand position, it's where we we try to put ourselves, is that you can trust us to say this about that this is the thing that you should be using. And it's not because we're trying to make money out of you. It's not a scam. It's genuinely what we think. And this price of this amount of money, because obviously you can see we, we're using real experts here. you know, And so it's not just a digital product. It's got people involved. And I think that helps demystify the sense of like well why shouldn't i get it for free you know you, you're combating those expectations about digital um but yeah and then sort of just really saying look this is trust us this if you're if you're serious about it, this is what you should be
1: doing and and what, what are the so i was interested in that because you have stop smoking uh, experts or something is that what you call them and yeah. what are they doing
0: so they're providing uh, one-to-one and uh, group support on, uh, on an on-demand basis uh, we're currently 20 hours a day we're about to move 24/7 so what it means is that um, if you've got a problem you know if you're having a problem with smoking at any point of the day if you're craving or if you've just got a question you can reach out to one of our experts and they'll just text you back their answer in a couple of minutes so, so it's sort of what we're trying to do is, is provide a, a fully comprehensive uh, stop smoking service digitally, so also stuff that you can just look at the time smoke free, the money saved. You come back into the app and you'll get a little boost about oh look, I've saved a bit more money. I'm a bit you know um, a little positive reinforcement there. Um, and then the second is some automated features such as the missions, these daily tasks. There's a quick coach, a chatbot, which people can pull, so they can sort of pull that a bit more when they want. And then they've got the the one to one very personalised, um, human-based support, completely non-judgmental, the, just allows people to then get very tailored, uh, specific of smoking advice.
1: Wow. So they, they are getting a lot for seven quid a month, because it's not a tiny subscription by the App Store standards. Uh, but, but when you can actually text somebody and say, help, I'm I'm tempted to smoke a cigarette, and get a response within a couple of minutes, you know, for most of the day, that's, that's quite a lot there. That's a great service to be able to provide.
0: Yeah, and you'd, you'd think more people would go for it. But I think there's a whole, there's a whole other problem that we've got to solve, which is about um, getting people used to the idea of using that kind of support. So how do we migrate people up the support chain? So uh, by virtue of the fact that they're looking for an app to help them stop smoking, they know that they're interested in some kind of support. So how do we help them understand, well, the pro version of support, the automated features are better than the basic features, and then the expert features are better than the automated features. But we learning, you know, that's the process that we're engaged in now. But, yeah, they're, they're, you know, we, we priced it around the Netflix monthly subscription because it felt like that was the marker point that a lot of people had for a monthly subscription. So if we can come in a little bit than, lower than that, then, you know, we might compare favorably. And we can afford to do it for that at the moment as well.
1: Yeah. Of course. So I'm interested because you've had this great success with an app and I do get lots of people coming with ideas for apps. And sometimes I have to admit that my heart sinks because I think the chances of, I mean, first of all, apps are just very hard for anybody to make work. It's, it's um, the challenge is that getting found on the app store is no small thing. And you, because apps are normally sold at quite a low price point, your cost you're you can't spend that much on customer acquisition. These are the kind of problems I've heard of. But but more than that, what I worry is that people have an idea. It's like, oh, you could do an app that does X. And I just don't know whether they're the person who should be doing that. Because if they're not technical and they don't have subject matter exper- expertise, you know, some of they just had a kind of clever something sounds like a clever idea, but there's no substance in the subject matter or in a technical side. I mean, do you have a kind of, do people come to you and say like, I've got an app idea. What should I do, Dave? And and if so, what do you, what do you say to them? What do you look for in their idea?
0: Um, I mean, I think, you know, I think you're absolutely right. If, if you've got that subject matter expertise and, or, you know, you're a coder, then your ability to create a minimum of our product is, is significantly greater. You can do it without either of those two things. It's just harder. Um, and I think, yeah, I think it is. What's important with all of these things is are you actually meeting a need? Now, does, does, the, does, the, does your idea actually meet any kind of need? Um, and if it does, then there are probably other apps out there already. And so the question is, well, what are you going to do that will be different to what's already out there? Now, there, 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 that is, there is absolutely things that you can do that will be different to the apps that are out there. There's no question about that. But just, you know... Can you identify that? because oh, or if you just want to be another Me Too app, then it's not really an idea. It's just a copy, isn't it? Um, so I think what what can you add to um, the existing uh, sort of sphere of apps that exist to solve your particular need? And why is your thing better? Then how can you how can you test that idea and see whether it is actually meeting people's needs without with you know the minimum amount of time and money possible? this minimum valuable product, valuable product that we come back to.
1: Yeah, no, I like that. And, it, but I mean, an MVP always has to be an app, presumably. So in that case, you'd be talking about putting the minimum version of the app on the app store, presumably.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, you could create an HTML5 version of it in a web page um, that would have reduced functionality, but is easier to build and is cross-platform. And, you know, it's probably simpler to recruit people for because you're not, asking them to download anything at that point just ask them to go somewhere um but that does very much depend on the functionality that the app will have because there are some things that only you can do natively within the app code itself
1: yeah i suppose it would be good at least for mocking something up maybe uh, there are probably better ways of mocking things up but at least you could create something that basically would be like a mobile web page for people could go to on their phone and you uh, my the, my friend Shed Samov did this rather famously. He claimed he created an app, which was a dating app that was, I think, it was called Shinda. His name is Shed, and um, but it was a dating app where the only person you could date was Shed, and, <laughs> and you could sign up as a man or woman. And if you were a man, he just goes, "Hey, uh, I'm not looking for men at the moment, but I'll keep you posted." And then if you were a woman, he would kind of talk to you about whether you wanted to go on a date with him. And, and as a result of creating this ridiculous thing. Which was actually just like you say an HTML five web page that you went to on your browser. Um, he just got masses of press, which is very good at doing, uh, and got loads of publicity for it. And, and I realised like everyone was talking about it as if it was an app. It wasn't really in that sense.
0: <laughs> no, and I think I mean this. Yeah, you know, there is. We we talk about an MVP, um, and, and, and I think there's probably stages before that as well, and often entrepreneurs can be a little bit reluctant to talk about their ideas with other people in case someone's going to steal it. Uh, And I think that there is a risk of that, of course, but I think it's a very small risk. And when you compare to the benefits about talking about this idea to other people, then, you know, there's no question which, what you should do, I think. And those benefits are fundamentally, one is that when you explain your idea repeatedly to different people, you explain it in different ways. You hone it yourself. You're kind of, you know, you're, you're, you're you're getting, and, and other people, you if you're looking at the reactions that you're getting, you can see what they, they, they perk up to or where they sort of switch off. And you can see, you can get, if you're sensitive to this, you can kind of get some feedback just, just in, in their body language, let alone what they say, um, from how they, how they respond to the idea of it. And then, you know, if, um, if the conversation develops, you can perhaps get some ideas about how they think you could improve it some of which will be, you know, not really practical or, or just, you know, not, not doable for right now. Others might be really good and might shape your idea. So before, you know, you're kind of doing some user testing almost just through words, and then you can get to the point of you know, of mocking these things up and showing people. But I think spending, you know, sort of doing as much as you can without minimum investment, without taking a big risk of, because perhaps, you know, to build, even to build an MVP, you're probably looking at 10, 20 grand. Um, So it's quite an investment to just just take off an idea um, when you can do so much more to to test the robustness of that idea beforehand. And you can see if you're still excited about it in two months' time.
1: I think that's a really good test. And like you say, you know, if you say things uh, over and over again and, and like you say, you pitch it in a different way each time and then suddenly there'll be one version of how you pitch it and everyone just goes, oh, really? Oh, wow. And and it's the same app. And I've seen this again and again, you know, different book titles, different pitches, whatever it might be. The way you describe it's absolutely critical. And the, the one that makes people sit up and go, oh, wow, sounds like something I need. That is the one that, you, that actually indicates where you should be heading for. And that affects what the app becomes because your little description, if it, if the thing that made everyone sit up and pay attention was one particular aspect of it, then you need to make sure that aspect is front and center and you include that on your, in all your marketing and It's a central part of the app. So I think that's really good advice. And I think the other thing is that people don't – if if the only thing you've got is an original idea and it's the originality of the idea that you think is so powerful and not your ability to execute it, then that's actually not much of an asset anyway because it's actually your ability to make the thing really good in the end uh, that makes it work. I always give the example, the the very first iPod, it's, um, you know, they cobbled together this, I mean, it was very in you know, a beautiful design, uh, but they cobbled together the idea of a, a rotary dial from digital synths from the 80s. Um, it was not the first music player that had a hard disc in it, but the way they executed it with, I think Johnny Ive was involved, wasn't he? Tony Fidel and um, Steve Jobs, made it work so well as a whole that everyone just wanted to have one and i and it's about the execution not just some clever idea
0: exactly i mean facebook wasn't the first social network google wasn't the first search engine instagram wasn't the first picture sharing you know none of these none of these huge sites now were the first to do it they just did it better than everybody else and so yeah it's all about execution no need to worry about talking about your idea in my view and i think you know it's not, it's very easy to bring up as well. You know, if someone asks, well, you know, how are you doing, what are you up to? And that's, whether that's a friend or a complete stranger, you can just simply, oh, well, this is what I'm doing. I'm what I'm thinking about doing. And um, So, you know, it's a conversation we can have with almost everybody with me uh, and, and uh, it can be really useful.
1: Yeah. Great. So, and if there's one thing you wanted fledgling at first time app developers to know, or that you wish perhaps you'd known when you started this whole journey... What do you think that would be?
0: Don't worry about getting it right. Um, you know, so it's an iterative process. Um, it, we, yeah, you need to have, if you're going to put something out there to, to properly use the testing that needs to be good enough, but good enough is good, is, you know, is, is what to aim for, not perfect. And I think there's a real um, danger in, in, in trying to make it too good.
1: Yeah, no, that's, that sounds like a really important point. So people want to find smoke-free app, it's on both the app stores, I guess.
0: Uh, yep. If you ser- search, for a search smoke for smoke free. free.
1: Good. Yep. And you've got a website about it, haven't you?
0: We we do. It's it's very old website. We're just we're rebuilding it. So please don't judge me for that. But yes, smoke <laughs> free uh, smoke free app dot com.
1: Well, thanks, David. I really appreciate it, and I appreciate you lending your story to the book as well because uh, it's it's really. Uh, It's a great one. I think it's fantastic what you've done.
0: Thanks so much, John. It's always a pleasure to talk to you.
1: Thanks for listening to this episode of the Ideas Lab podcast. Please do subscribe, and if you've enjoyed this episode, it would be great if you could leave us a review. You can get links and details of everything mentioned in the podcast in the show notes along with photos and video clips from many of our episodes. Just go to theideaslab.org forward slash podcast.